to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. I myself grew up in a very STEMI household where we were always encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. As a result, I ended up studying mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. But at the end of my studies, I was able to mathematically model chaotic behaviors, which was great, but life itself was actually the thing that taught me that not everything can be explained with a neat mathematical equation. Life doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and there are lots of twists and turns along the way. So here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women deal with this. This week, I talked to Jacqueline Chu, a physician. My name's um, Jacqueline Chu. I'm a physician. I'm a gastroenterologist. Um, I just finished my fellowship at Mass General in Boston, and I'll be starting at a private practice next week. Can you explain in basic terms what it is that you're involved in with your work? The most of what I do um, as a physician um, and a gastroenterologist is seeing patients um, in the clinic who have um, gastrointestinal issues. So things stemming from you know, the esophagus, the stomach, the intestines, the colon. Um, and we do things like treating uh, diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel, which is really common, and doing things like colon cancer screening. Um, that's the majority of what I do, but I also, um, like many physicians, participate in research as well. Um, so many physicians, besides seeing patients, also like to do research to try to help build um, our fundamental base of knowledge about medicine and also discover new therapies and also create new devices to help with patient care. Um, so during my fellowship, which has been the last three years, um, I've been working with Dr. Gio Traverso at um, uh, MIT, um, basically developing new devices to help with patient care, particularly um, using the unique properties of the gastrointestinal tract. And what inspired you to get into something like this? So in terms of patient care, I just think that, you know, it's one of the most fulfilling things that you can do uh, with your career is really dedicate your life to helping people get better, um, uh, making people feel better symptomatically, uh, checking for cancer, treating cancer. I think all those things are incredibly important to everyone. Um, and so that's really what uh, drew me to medicine, the opportunity to make as part of my life's work, um, taking care of people. Um, in addition to that, I think the exciting part about being involved with research, which I've been doing over the last several years, is um, really the opportunity to make new discoveries and to contribute to making patient care even better than what we currently have. Was there something in your childhood that made you think, like, I, I need to go into this? Um, you know, I think like many kids, I love to play doctor, you know, you get those like plastic doctor sets. And uh, my sister was my first patient. Um, <laughs> But besides that, I think, you know, at the time that I was growing up, there was a lot of um, like science fiction that I used to read. Um, I don't know if you remember this book, The Andromeda Strain, but it was about these researchers who discover like this new virus. It's all sounding very um, relevant nowadays with COVID. But uh, so I was really interested in thinking about, you know, making new discoveries um, and all sort of related to human health, though, I think was the main thing for me um, that across the spectrum, whether it's like taking care of patients 
patients directly or doing research, that it's all really tied to the goal of, um, of helping people get better. Um, so that's really been with me through childhood and then, you know, furthermore supported by the experiences I had in college, um, volunteering at clinics, uh, also doing research um, in a lab in college, and then um, furthermore in medical school. And, you know, were you one of these kids that were just naturally talented at STEM? And so, you know, it was obvious that you would go in this direction. Yeah, you know, I think that um, I had a lot of interest as a kid. I did like science, like my favorite um, show was the Magic School Bus. I don't know if you have that in the UK, but it was really popular here. Um, but I also loved, you know, reading. I loved literature. Um, I think it's really important for kids to sort of be able to explore many different fields. And then, you know, there's plenty of time later in life to sort of specialize. Um, I think, you know, it's, it is interesting being a woman in STEM. I, I think as a kid, I was often told, you know, looking back on it now at the time, I didn't really realize, but looking back, I think there's a lot of like, oh, you're, it's like, you're really good at math or you're really good at science. It's like surprise. It's like slightly surprising because you're a girl. I did sort of get that impression. Um, now thinking back, I'm like, wow, that was kind of that, you know, that I, I can see how that would be discouraging. Um, but I think that, uh, the standards did seem different for um, for girls and boys growing up, um, from what I remember. But I think um, I did overall, for my family, feel very supported to go into STEM field. I think that helped a lot. You know, there's a huge amount of pressure, and it can be really intimidating going into the science subjects. Like, did you have what kind of experience did you have with that? Yeah. So my parents, I think definitely, I think it's like, it was their dream to have one of their kids be a doctor. So I did feel some of, I felt a lot of encouragement, I would say from them, uh, even as a child, I think my initial reaction was actually to sort of push back against that and say, you know, I, I don't want to be a doctor because my parents want me to do that. But I did still feel personally drawn to other related fields, like doing like uh, basic science research. Um, I do, I do think that there is, um, some pressure, like if you're a woman as, or like as a, as a girl, as a child, I did feel like um, people made a big deal out of me being good at STEM subjects. And then I felt the pressure to perform, I think. Um, I think growing up, much less so than now, I felt a bit hesitant about asking questions and things because I didn't want to sort of reveal that I didn't know something because I felt like I, I was sort of setting, leading the way or setting the example as a successful a girl in science and math. Um, but now I think my advice um, to others growing up sort of in this environment is um, to have sort of the confidence that you're going to be really good at whatever you love. Uh, if you put you know time and dedication into it, I think that there's having a growth mindset is really important and thinking that, you know, uh, don't be afraid to sort of try and fail. That's the best way to learn. And so I think if I had to give myself advice looking back when I was younger, is that, you know, if you if you're interested in something like science, math, or those STEM fields, even if you feel like you don't know everything about it, or if you're unsure about things or don't feel completely confident, that's totally fine. And part of the growth mindset is to um, accept that you will learn and you will get better, but you have to sort of, you know, be willing to take risks risks and be willing to fail. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about what it's like being a woman in STEM. I think medical fields do tend to have 
a more healthy ratio in terms of gender balance. But have you ever felt like um, out of place? So I think it's great that there is more representation of women in medicine now. Um, so I think, you know, most recently, uh, medical students entering the medical field, it's about 50-50 or even slightly leaning more women now. But as you follow the pipeline, that actually drops off. And so, for example, in gastroenterology, which is a subspecialty that I'm in, it's only about 15 to 18% women. And then if you look at the top, like people who lead medical schools, lead hospitals, there's a uh, very, very few women represented. So it's certainly a pipeline problem. Um, and I think that that's, that's changing, but it is still part of the culture of medicine that it's very male dominated. And a lot of the decisions made at the top that influence the downstream culture um, is, is very much, um, you know, still um, dictated by men. I'm excited to see that that's changing and be part of the change. But I think a lot of things we deal with, like unconscious bias and all that, that's still very much present. What do you think is it is that is making women drop out? Yeah, so I think there's a number of factors. I think one is um, is is lack of uh, role models or um, lack of understanding about um, issues related to gender bias that women do face some discrimination as they go along. Um, part of it is also related to uh, family. Um, for example, we had. In the US, we have a very poor maternal support in terms of family leave. Um, and in medical training, I think that's even less so. Uh, you're really expected, it's changing a lot now at many places, but as it is, there's a lot of onus on the either the mother or the father, whoever is taking care of the baby to sort of take it out of their own schedule to, you know, if you want to take uh, parental leave and then have to make that up later. And so that's very difficult to do in a rigorous medical training situation, especially if it's prolonged. Um, so I think that's definitely a part of it too, as you see, if you see where women tend to drop out of the pipeline, a lot of it happens around residency um, and then their first job. So I think that there's a lot of issues related to um, parental support there as well. Um, do you have a family? Do you want to have a family? How, if so, I mean, depending on your answer, like, how do you fit that in? Yeah, so uh, my husband and I do eventually want to have a family. Um, I think, you know, what I've heard from many people over the years is there's no perfect time. Um, and so it's, it's all, there's always going to be some challenges involved, whether it's if you're having kids early in your training, trying to balance that with, you know, a crazy residency schedule where you could be working 80 hours a week. Um, if you're having kids later in life, you know, the, from the biological side, there could be challenges there as well. So it's really more, I think, about what works for you as parents and what feels right for you guys. You know, for us, things that we're considering are sort of uh, financial, um, you know, for medical training, there's a lot of debt that you incur that you don't pay off until later in life. So I think that's part of it. Um, but then also, you know, where we are in our careers, um, what we want to be doing right now. Um, I'm starting a new job, as I mentioned, and my husband is very involved in research. And so for us right now, you know, we sort of want to focus on those things, but to eventually have kids. But, you know, I know plenty of people who've had kids in residency or even in medical school. And, and they always say, you know, I did it uh, in sort of an atypical fashion, but it totally worked out for us. Yeah, I find that sort of trying to be everything 
as a woman, you know, a mother, have a career, juggle a relationship, you know, all those things require decisions. And those decisions are so individual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no right way. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just think it's so difficult for any woman going into STEM or maybe other professions, I don't know. But it always seems really tricky to know what's right for you as an individual in terms of all of those aspects. Yes. Have you found like your own path with that? Or are you still trying to figure it out as you go along? Yeah, I think I'm still also trying to figure it out as I go along too. I think one of the things that really stuck um, stood out to me is uh, when I read um, Lean In, um, you know, by Sheryl Sandberg. And I think one part she said is that um, she, in her role as sort of like a mentor to many um, young women, that she's found that many women are sort of already worrying years ahead of uh, actual, actually before they plan to start a family about sort of navigating their careers and making career decisions to sort of allow for them to have a family when the time is right and actually holding themselves back in that regard. And so I think, um, as I said, because I think, you know, for many people, the decision to start a family when that is, when the right time that is, is so different from person to person, it can change a lot year to year, just depending on what's happening in your life, that I, I really resonated to me that it makes sense not to hold yourself back in anticipation of something that might happen. You don't know when. I think um, for us, my husband and I, it's been sort of taking every, you know, every day, every year, year by year, seeing what's right for us at that time. And then, you know, when the time comes, when it feels right for us to start a family, I think um, doing it in the moment rather than trying to make so many life changes, you know, to try to plan for it many years ahead. Everyone's got a very individual story to tell about this. And um, I don't think there's a one solution fits all. But I do think that, you know, when you go into something like STEM, it requires so much studying. And after all of that studying, you don't want to throw it all away um, to start a family. And so it's just really difficult. I think we're living in a society where I don't think the system is really on our side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, part of having these conversations is to try and piece together what the right way is to navigate through a system that doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. Um, But I think it will continue to be a tricky one for women. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the key parts about that is sort of what we talked about having more women in leadership, um, because you know, unless the problem is identified and people know it's something that needs to change, um, it's not going to be addressed and it's going to be left up to individuals to figure it out for themselves. So for example, I think one really positive thing is that there are a lot more women taking on the role of a program director. That's the person who who um, organizes and directs the uh, training programs for people going through medical training. Um, and because there's more women in those roles, there's a lot more emphasis being placed on how can we make um, parental leave be- or family leave better um, and other issues that I think women have been dealing with for many years that have maybe sort of gone unnoticed until there's been a woman who's been through it herself that knows that these things need to be addressed. Absolutely. Um, in terms of advice um, from either friends, family, professional colleagues, what's been the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, I think 
That is such a good question. I think the best piece of advice I've gotten that I've only really um, embraced in later years is trying to do what is just ignoring what everyone else would think. Just imagine if you were in like a black box or if you lived in, if you moved suddenly to a place where absolutely no one knew you, what would you really want to do just for yourself? Trying to remove all those external pressures and think, you know, what would make me happy, not what would make my family or, you know, my mentor um, or other colleagues, you know, what would they consider the best, but rather what's best for me. And so when I was trying to decide what I want to do for, you know, my first real job out of training, um, that was a very difficult decision to remove all the things about, you know, training really teaches you to try to go for what's the most prestigious or, you know, what is considered the best by some external force. Um, And really thinking about for you personally, if no one knew what you were going to decide and no one was going to have anything to say about it, and it was just for yourself, like, what would you really want to do with your life? That's such amazing advice, but also so tricky because sometimes what we consider to be best for us is often tied to how best we fit into society. Mm-hmm. Like they can be so deeply entangled. So, yeah, but I think, you know, then if, if you know for yourself that what would make you most happy is to have, you know, X role in society or be in a position where, let's say for me, if I was like, if I lived in a black box and I knew that for me, what would be most important is to know that I am working at like the top center in the country. And that's for me, what is most validating, then I think that that is the right to sit that would make you the most happy. Um, but I think the key part is what would make you most happy, not what would make you know, someone else. I think the other thing too, is that, you know, we as women are really encouraged throughout our lives to be sort of more like um, supporting others or have this sort of uh, uh, very, this drive to please other people. And I think um, one of the challenges as we're navigating our careers is to try to sort of remove ourselves from that from that impetus and think more about, you know, not in a selfish way, but really for ourselves, what do we actually want? Not just all these external pressures that are placed on us. Mm, that makes me think of that saying, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before helping others. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? um, how do you keep yourself kind of balanced because you're juggling so much and you must be so busy. How do you get centered again? Yeah. Um, you know, I think for everyone it's different, but for me personally, I always need to have a little bit of time just to myself. So it could be like, you know, binging TV or uh, listening to an audiobook or something, but just a, a ta- piece of the day every day where I can spend a little bit of time just doing nothing. Um, and uh, I think the other thing too, that some, one of my other mentors told me that I really value is um, you can't finish everything in a day. Um, whatever doesn't get done at the end of the day, you know, wasn't the most important. So it's just the fact that we're all super busy and we can never complete everything on our task list that we want every day, but sort of um, forgiving ourselves at the end of the day and just, you know, acknowledging that, you know, we did our best. Um, I think I try to do that a lot. And every day is a new day and don't carry over sort of regrets from things you should have finished or things you should have done the day before. Oh, that's so tough because I know, easier said than done. The women in STEM were such perfectionists, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but great if you can achieve it. Um, yeah. What has been the most humbling experience you've ever had in life? 
I think, you know, so what part of medical training is that we do um, many rotations. We're, we're like constantly changing where we are in the hospital. Like every, I'll say like every two to four weeks, you're in a new position. That means like um, in a new department, uh, a new team, new patients. And it's very humbling to sort of have to restart every couple of weeks. Like just as soon as you feel like you've gotten the hang of like, some particular patients, you finally understand everything that's going on about them. You know, the nurses, you know, sort of your team, you've reached a good workflow. Um, all of a sudden you're switched to a different place. And so it's a constant feel of like, I'm new. Um, and I don't know exactly, you know, I don't even know where the bathroom is in this new department, constantly feeling like you're the newcomer can be really jarring and really humbling, I think. Um, but I think it's also a great experience because it's really taught me to be much more comfortable with uncertainty, like to go into a new new area, a new place, a new job, and just be like, well, I'm just going to pick it up. I'm going to learn it and it's going to be fine. And everyone knows the first few days, you know, you sort of are new. Um, I think that's a very difficult skill to learn. And so even though it was, you know, at times very stressful during medical training, um, I think that's been one of the, the best learning experiences that I've had. Well, the definition of humility is to remain teachable. And right. you're literally in a situation where you have to be teachable. Exactly. Yeah. What do you reckon is your most significant superpower? <laughs> oh, um, I would say I, uh, my best superpower, I think, is that I can be very laser focused and efficient. Um, and I think that's really important to your earlier question about how to ensure, you know, that you're able to have some, I'm able to have some time for myself or, you know, some time to decompress every day is that sort of, I try to do everything as efficiently as possible so that, I mean, I guess uh, for me, it's not about the total number of hours worked that shows like how hard you're working. It's the amount of how productive you are. And so for me, like I always try instead of, you know, having an eight hour work day, um, I might try to compress everything into like a five hour work day so that I can have those three hours off. So I'm really focused for those five hours. And then I just take the rest of the time off. Um, and for me personally, that's been really, really useful. I must say you do come across as being a woman that really knows exactly what she wants and <laughs> kind of like, you know, you just go for it. Like nothing gets in your way. Like, where did that come from? Yep. So I think a lot for my family, um, leading by example, um, Part of it also is, you know, I, I did feel um, as a kid being a woman interested or a girl interested in STEM, I did always sort of feel, I think, this extra drive to really prove myself. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a, there's a lot of stuff that's been published about sort of like imposter syndrome and always feeling like you need to, you know, be on ahead of everything or be prepared for people to challenge you. And so I think I did grow up with some of that as well. Like I always wanted to be extra prepared. So, you know, I could really prove myself as being, you know, just as good as, you know, one of the boys or something. Um, so I think having that mentality helped me be very prepared and, and, and learn to be very efficient. Cause as you also said, you know, I think having so many different things to balance um, on our plates, I think not just for women in STEM, but I think for all, all trainees in, in uh, medical training, um, you always have so many different uh, things pulling you in multiple directions, learning how to be efficient and sort of learning to prioritize, I think is the other thing because you can't get everything done in a day, learning what's really important to you to get done and then learning how to be the most efficient 
uh, in getting those tasks completed. Do you think the way you have evolved has anything to do with maybe your cultural or, you know, your ethnicity? Sure. So I think, you know, my parents are um, Vietnamese uh, immigrants um, from, you know, just before the war. Um, and I think, you know, they, I think all immigrant children, I mean, this is just my observation, but I think many immigrant children would say this is true, that we do recognize the sacrifices that our parents um, have made in order to give us this better life and and all the hardships that they went through. Our lives, you know, are so easy in comparison that I think I, we've always, I've always felt a drive to really make it worth it for them um, and for them to be proud of me, I think is a big part of, of what drives me. Um, and so I do think I've always you know, part of the the drive to succeed has been just myself, just, you know, wanting to to do the best at everything I try, but also for my parents wanting to um, have them be proud of me and for them to see like, you know, they immigrated here and now their children can be so successful um, and, um, you know, have such a big role in the community. I think that that has been uh, really rewarding for them, I hope. And so that has been a big part of how I try to approach things. Mm. ED and I, equality, diversity, and inclusion is an ever-growing subject within STEM. Why do you think, or maybe you don't, I mean, what are your perspectives on the importance of ED&I? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. I think especially thinking about STEM and technology and how that's going to shape our world going forward. You know, I think how things, what things are made, addressing what problems, that really requires a diverse community to be, you know, in the driver's seat, deciding what problems need to be solved, uh, what solutions need to be made. Because for example, I think like a few years ago, you know, when, or several years ago now, when there's the second tech boom, um, a lot of the products being made were driven by, you know, nothing, not there's anything wrong with it, but like 30 year old um, white men, like just out of college thinking like, okay, what do I want? So like making all these apps about like laundry services and apps about, you know, like Uber, like how do I get around the city? And I think those things are great, but they're solving problems of a very niche population. And I think the more diverse viewpoints we can bring in, the more we can realize what are all the different needs of many different communities that need to be solved. And I think, you know, technology is going to become an even bigger and bigger part of our lives um, and taking over many more jobs, I think, going forward. And so thinking very carefully about, you know, how technology impacts our daily lives, how which jobs it's taking over, what new jobs they can create. I think we really need a diverse, um, a diverse community to help drive those conversations. Definitely. Um, how do you think I mean, given your background and experiences, how do you think we can improve the statistics in EDNI? I mean, are there some obvious solutions here? Oh, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think there's any obvious solutions. Otherwise, hopefully we would have already done them. I mean, I think part of it is like, the sad truth is that I think a lot of companies and corporations, which make up a lot of tech now, for example, um, are really driven by money. Um, and so I think, you know, there needs to be more financial incentives or penalties to really drive those companies to 
um, value diversity more than just for them to say like, oh, we believe in diversity and be able to create like a poster about it for it for PR. I think there needs to be like a real movement towards valuing that. Um, and so whether that's, you know, through consumers, if we can place financial pressure on them or whether there needs to be like federal regulations to demand that, you know, these companies prioritize that. Um, I think it needs to be much more of a key thing that we fight for rather than right now, I think it really, it has become sort of just um, companies paying lip service to the idea of diversity. How important has role models and mentors been for you? Oh, incredibly important. Um, I think, you know, there, in terms of thinking about what makes people successful, I think there are certainly a lot of features about individuals. So, you know, having us having drive, having, um, you know, a desire to learn, being open to learning and working hard. I think all that's very important, but there's a huge luck factor too, which is who you come to know, um, finding a mentor that you click with. I think the, the best way to do that, because it can be so, you know, luck of the draw, whether you find someone that you really mesh with and who will be willing to support you is to try to meet as many people as possible. Um, so like, for example, uh, you know, I, I think throughout college and medical school and beyond, I relied a lot on people introducing me to, um, you know, faculty members that they knew were interested in mentoring students who had some kind of interest that aligned with me. Um, and that's really, I think, a big part of what made me successful in medicine is I had mentors who looked out for me. So for example, um, Dr. Traversa, who I mentioned, who I've been doing research with, you know, he's looked for many opportunities to put me forward, you know, at, when someone's asking him to comment on something or work on a project and he can't do it himself, he'll put me forward instead as someone who can, who can maybe work on that or looking for um, projects for me to collaborate with, with other people that he knows, or, um, you know, letting people publicizing uh, when, when I've published a paper or something like that, really being a mentor and a spokesperson, a champion for you. Um, I think that makes a huge difference. I can speak about so many other mentors I've had throughout the years. Um, and I think also important is to have mentors who are, who are both like you, who know sort of the challenges that you face, but also mentors who are different from you, who can give you a new perspective, challenge you in a new way, or offer some um, skills or, you know, something that they have that you don't. Um, so I do think that mentors are very, very important in helping people succeed, especially in small fields like STEM. Um, and so I can't, I really can't emphasize that enough. You know, it's so interesting because I get to meet incredible women like you um, who are really like badass, basically, in the world <laughs> of STEM. And um, I'm just like, I mean, you know, when we hear from women like you, it's incredibly inspiring because it's about representation. Um, but part of me thinks, you know, women have what it takes, you know, they can do these STEM subjects, they're doing it, and we just need more of them. And then I think, well, maybe the problem is not with women, it's men that need to change their attitudes towards seeing more women in these industries. Um, what would be your perspectives on that? I think it's really both. Um, you know, I think from the systemic level, you know, I, I think the other thing too is that, you know, it's usually not men who are like, 
um, consciously trying to hold women back or threatened by women or anything like that. You know, like one, one of the things I've heard, it's like, it's not a problem with men, it's a problem with the patriarchy. And so it's really more about the system that's been created over decades you know, um, that, that people haven't really consciously questioned. And I think it's the, the system, really, I agree, that needs to change. Um, and part of that is, you know, roles can be played by both men and women. So I think on the, for men, like thinking about what are the unconscious biases that I may have about women in STEM and how can I help to address that and be a champion for them to help bring more women in. Um, and I think, you know, as we are trying to change systems, women can do, we can do things um, for ourselves to help us, um, you know, be more, be more active and be more represented within STEM. So I think, you know, changing from a systems level with help from an individual level to help push things, it's like both a push and a pull, you know, in terms of changing the system. And I think one of the most important things that we as women in STEM can do is to help each other. Um, I think it's really important for um, women to mentor other women and to champion other women. Um, because I said, we've been through many of the same struggles that, you know, I think men would love to help with. They just don't know what those struggles are. And so, you know, for women to really band together, help us, uh, you know, lift each other up and push us forward, I think is going to be really critical to changing really the STEM culture. So much of what you've said kind of fills me with hope that um, more and more women will just find that confidence and inner strength to apply themselves to their passions in the same way that you're doing. So thank yeah, you. I, of course. And I think, you know, I, I'm really excited to see sort of the next generation of women in STEM. I think it's becoming so common now for, you know, girls to be like, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be an engineer. Like no one even thinks second twice about it. And I think that is certainly a move in the right direction. Um, and so I'm really excited to see all the women, you know, after us who come, who come up in STEM. And I'm also really uh, excited to see all of the amazing science that you're doing um, going forward, reading that paper about your work is fantastic. And thank you for all that you're doing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. And please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed Women. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves. And I wish you all a great week.